call the meeting back to order. Returning from closed session, we're on item 5.1. Before we get there, I do want to note that Trustee Mandir Samdu is with us now. And now, right, 5.1, we have nothing to report from closed session. 5.2, please join us for the Pledge of Allegiance. Thank you, Kyle. 5.3, adoption of the agenda. Any questions, comments, or changes to the agenda? Seeing none, the agenda is adopted by consensus. Now, item number six, public comment. At this time, we're going to devote a total of up to 15 minutes for comments to the Board of Trustees. Not appearing as an agenda item for this meeting, but over which the Board has jurisdiction. The public may ask the Board to place an item related to the business of the district on a future Board agenda. No action or discussion will occur at this time on such items. Individuals will be limited to a five-minute presentation. We do have one speaker card here uh, from Brian Fonseca. Please. I just, uh, my name is Brian Fonseca. I'm the women's basketball coach here. First off, I want to thank you because I think it was a year ago uh, at this meeting I was approved, so thank you. Um, and if I can also plug, thank you for priority registration as, as a coach because I think that's very important for our students and uh, it's going to be very helpful for athletes, especially sophomore athletes. So I thought I should mention that because it's very weak. That was used a lot by our competitors that, that we didn't have that. So thank you. As, as I'd like to mention that too. Um, we had a media day a while back that, that Doug helped us uh, put together. It was fantastic. The, uh, Dr. Kraft was there and Mr. Iverson. So it kind of came up with the girls – we are in, in kind of a plan to get new uniforms. So sheepishly, that's not why I'm here. I'm really here to say thank you and to be an advocate for our girls. I will mention, though, that if anybody would like to help, I think to tie in with our 75th uh, year, uh, my idea is to have 75 storm chasers at $75. That would probably be just about enough to take care of that. So if anybody is interested, uh, I think you know where where you can find me. But, but thank you. And uh, uh, we, we do have 10 girls at this time. They're very excited. It's kind of a process in building. But uh, I just wanted to acknowledge them and the fact that they were kind of urging me, and I told them I would go so to be an advocate for them also. So I think that is, that is it at this time, and, and thanks for having us, and we are moving, we're all moving forward. Thank you. And coaches are superstitious, so new jerseys, new 14s, all that good stuff. So thank you. Great. Thank you. Is there anyone else who would like to speak upon general public? Comment. Seeing no one, I'll close the general public comment and move on to item number seven, constituent group report 7.1, academic senate report, Amanda Badgett, who is not present. Yeah, I just would say that um, this is welcome to a, a typical July meeting, which is can be a little sparse. So the constituent presidents and representatives, most of them, all of them, have seen me in begged your indulgence, and they're either away enjoying holiday or could not make it tonight. So um, there are a couple people here, but they wanted me to share that with you. And we will name them off anyway to make sure okay. there's a record. <laughs> okay. 7.2, Administrative Confidential. 
also not present. 7.3, Associated Students of Napa Valley College, Raphael Monzo. Present. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yes, July meeting indeed. Uh, greetings, everyone. Happy summer. Um, we've got about four and a half weeks left. Oh, my. Uh, don't remind don't remind the students or anyone at my office because we're like, no, um, no, but we're um, actually, actually, uh, we are very productive this summer. Um, I have to say, like, my board is, uh, as the new president, I feel that um, I was really clear with them at the very beginning of June what my goals were um, as the new leader and what my goals would be for the year as a whole. And then I feel that everyone who is on our new board has immense vision um, for their position. And um, it's coming forward. It's, it's manifesting over the summer a lot. Um, everyone's in the office a lot more than any of my previous boards um, that, that I was a part of when I was a senator for three years um, ever did. I, summer is a really slow time for ASNBC typically, but starting with this board, I feel like it's, we're going to set a whole new precedent, a whole new standard. Um, we're just, we've got all, all of our uh, committees active. Um, some, some, you know, all that are um, necessary, our seasonal committees are not yet uh, in need, but uh, we've set up all of our standing committees. We've got people serving. Um, we're patiently waiting to hear about um, how district committees are going to settle because I hear that many of them are being merged, um, planning and such. So um, once that's ready for fall, then we'll appoint our representatives to serve on all of those committees, um, you know, like LOAC and, and SSP and, and all that. So um, anyways, um, we, we were really productive over the summer. Um, we've had more meetings than any ASNBC usually does. In my three years on ASNBC, usually we had our, our bare minimum in our constitution and bylaws. We have to have at least one meeting in the months of summer break. Um, and we've had way more than that already. So we're, we're off to a really, really strong start. Um, we've got a lot of events planned for August alone, um, starting with, of course, the welcome back tables that happen on the first two days of school. And uh, that's coordinated through the Office of Student Life as well. So um, that will go out to everyone, like uh, classified and, and um, staff and faculty, you know, um, possibly admin as well, about um, anyone who wants to serve on those welcome back tables, you know, help greet the students. And uh, in, in, you can sign up for a shift in the morning or the afternoon uh, and then towards the evening if you like. And it's just uh, it's a really neat way to interface with the student body, and it makes a really strong first impression. Um, we give them, like, free snacks, um, ranging in all different diets and nutritional uh, ideas in mind, not just donuts and coffee. So, um, you know, it's, it's really going to make a strong impression, I think, on those first two days, um, again, under new leadership. So um, I'm really excited about that. And um, then we've also got our speaker series already in the works. Like, we're already planning... August and beyond, um, what kinds of speakers we want to invite to the campus and what kind of topics we want to open up, what dialogues we want to open up with the community and the campus. And it is the 75th anniversary, and I am very excited to serve on that committee um, and uh, to even think about what activities we might bring forward for, to, to help celebrate that. Um, so that's pretty much my report would be that we're really, really active over summer. I just can't give you anything concrete to, other than the welcome back tables, because everything is in planning, but it is being planned. So I'm really excited. Thank you. Great, thank you.
7.4 classified association report and chart. Not present. 7.5 classified Senate report. Michael Rayford. My name is Michael Rayford. Uh, I just got uh, elected as the classified Senate president. So my goal is to work with the students and with the faculty to make it easier and more productive at the school, crack our ideas together maybe, and hopefully we can come together as a group. I'd like to see that Napa Valley College comes back as like when I was a student here. Um, it was more like a family to me. So I, I'd like to make that atmosphere again, hopefully work with you guys too. So, and, um, Previously, they've been working on um, the bylaws, so they're still still working on that. So we're going to hash into that probably starting next week. And um, we had a great turnout at the Father's Day classified uh, Senate uh, event that they had over here in the classified lounge. And we also had three classified employees attend the Classified Leadership Academy training in Lake Tahoe. We're going to try to do that again next year. And um, other than that, that's all I have. Thank you, and congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. 7.6 Faculty Association Report, Christy Iwamoto. I'm not present. Great. Superintendent President Report. Hey, note the time. It's Six o'clock. That's you know amazing, <clears throat> amazing. Um, we've got a couple things uh, on this. Um, uh, let's start with um, Napa Valley College Foundation. I see our new pres here, um, Bill Hardy. Thank you, Dr. Kraft, Mr. Chairman, members of the board. I, I uh, I'm I'm happy to be back and. Uh, I've been uh, nominated, dragooned, or whatever the proper term is to be uh, for my second term as uh, president of the foundation. Um, it's a real privilege because right now we've got uh, a lot of a lot of things going on. The sort of nature of the foundation has changed quite dramatically. Uh, on Monday, we have our new executive director, Ann Branch, whom I mentioned in the last meeting, uh, and uh, we are going to be basically operating as a uh, as an almost entirely separate organization after a couple of months and uh, including financial uh, doings etc and uh, to that end dr. Kraft and I are working on crafting a new uh, MOU or which is easily uh, run in my favorite task uh, the uh, but anyway it's it's going well and uh, I'm, I'm grateful to him for his uh, his help and, and input in it. The, uh, on the 19th, which is our meeting next week, next Wednesday, we're having a meet and greet for uh, the new executive director, and we've invited you all to come and, uh, and some other cabinet people in the, in the college. And uh, I understand it's summer and, and a light turnout is expected, but uh, we're hoping to have a chance to, for you to meet uh, Ann Branch and for you to meet maybe some of our other board members who you haven't, haven't seen. 
we uh, are still are working diligently on the BWT program. We're waiting for the executive director to, to, to arrive to set up a strategic fundraising uh, planning system, and that's, that's coming up next. We have a lot of names of people that we're going to contact, but we want to do it in a kind of strategic and planned out way and so that it doesn't come across as haphazard and so, so that it's done appropriately. We are going to be reaching out, and I've already spoken with uh, Ben Casada. We're going to be reaching out to the uh, Student Association on an ongoing basis because one of the things that we think we should be doing as a foundation is having contact with the students on a regular basis, and, and especially where uh, I'm sure you've all read uh, the story and, and heard Ben talk about the food insecurity issues that some of the students are having, and we're going to work on that. We're going to contribute to that, and we're going to do that on an ongoing basis. That's not going to be something... That's not going to be a one-off. Uh, we have, as you recall, last year we contributed a substantial amount to, to redoing or re-sprucing re, uh, up the student center, and that's, that's the kind of partnership arrangement that we would like to have more of with the students because, after all, that's why we're all here. The, uh, we, are, we are hoping at the next meeting to elect under the Internal Revenue Code for to become an organization which has an added um, added ability to to do public advocacy uh, in the event that the school has a reason for doing that, and um, it's it's a relatively simple election, but uh, we're going to probably make that because we want to be strong advocates for the school and and whatever it decides to do. The uh, so. I think that about covers it. I'm, I'm grateful that we are going to be in this situation. You know, if you think this is a tremendous evolution in the way the foundation has been run uh, in the last, just in the time I've been on the board, which is about seven years, uh, it, it used to be entirely a college operation. The college, we had a, an executive director and a secretary who were, who were uh, paid for by the college, and the whole thing was done out of here. And um, all, all the paperwork, all of the checks and everything had to go through the, the finance, and it still does and up until this day, uh, except that that's gradually being weaned off so that after another month or so, there won't be any college employees involved in, in running the foundation or working on the foundation on any kind of regular basis other than just for coordination that we need for scholarships. And uh, uh, we think that's good. We think that we do, we're just going to have to go out and raise a lot of money. So beware. <laughs> if if you see us coming, it's probably a good idea to walk in the other direction. But but uh, we are going to uh, we're going to be raising more money, and we're going to be using it for to run our operations, and also to do a lot of the things that we've talked about. So thanks. If any of you has any question, yeah, where is the meet and greet for the director? Uh, w uh, Wednesday at no, at, at five o'clock uh, in the community room. And I, I just want to say thank you for I, – I like the direction that you're going, and I appreciate your wanting to be closer to the students and helping with the food insecurity and all of that. So just, I like the work that you're doing, so thank you. Okay. Appreciate that. All right. Thank you, Bill. I, I would say that, um, Bill, you're a little unsung here and that you've really provided two years of very good leadership and now the third year. You're as president, and then you – they let you off the hook for a year when Gerard did a great job and then now back. And, and um, I, I agree with Trustee Martinson. I, I think this is a uh, – there's a difference between a guided trail ride and actually riding horses. And um, 
I think now the the foundation has really decided to take that second step, which is um, fabulous. I, I think it's going to allow the foundation to really spread its wings in the valley and make a, a stronger footprint, if you will, for the college and the foundation. So very excited about it. Um, the um, my report is um, has a has a few things in it, and um, there was a. a uh, a, a cold article that we um, entered in here um, that was um, a report through the California State University system. It basically, it, it's about homelessness and food insecurity. LA found, uh, you know, remarkably and maybe not remarkably, that, you know, food insecurity and homelessness is um, on the rise in community college students, um, especially in Southern California. I, I, I think you have to be careful how you look and interpret that kind of research. Broad, broadly, but it, it's clear that um, our own food bank here is on, on mark. On, it's doing good work. I also think that, generally speaking, um, you know, student populations are really returning to the community college in droves because they understand our mission, and they're a lot of more challenged, you know, in working full-time or working half-time and making it. So there's an article there. Um, on, there's a year-round Pell Grant um, Resumption of year-round Pell Grants, which is a good thing for our students, and you could take a look at that. Um, Dr. Warnall is here tonight as well, and um, I wanted to um, thank her and the team for providing such great leadership on the accreditation cycle that we had. Um, as announced at the end of last month, uh, I'll just read a little bit of that. A ACC, thank you. ACC um, at its meeting held June 7th and 9th reaffirmed our, uh, our accreditation. What's important for the board is that you can keep scrolling down here if you want as I talk, but um, we addressed all the recommendations um, successfully and um, deficiencies successfully. It was a it was a a very um, thorough, steady, and prudent um, application. I think both of a shared governance and action. Everyone in the entire college was um, involved from day one, um, way back, and has been working years on this. The follow-up report are posted here for you to take a look at if you'd like to. And the next, um, uh, a little up, if you go up just a little bit, I'm sorry. I just want to look at the next step. I think our interim report is, Robin, maybe you can shout out, um, 19? Fall of 19. And, and it follows the standard. So we are on the seven-year cycle for accreditation. And um, uh, just kudos to... Um, to the entire faculty, staff, administrators, and students for, uh, and the board as well, for um, doing just a, a fantastic job. Um, if we move down a little bit, there is a, uh, if for, for those of you, and uh, thank you, uh, Trustee Mancuso, who was at the 4th of uh, um, July parade, and um, other trustees were there or watched or, you know, may have been, just say yes. Um, yeah, yes, they were all there. Front and center. It was fabulous. Um, That's okay. I got a car all to myself. You did. You got a, you got a car. Oh, I think what's exciting, I, I was a marshal when I got here in 12 uh, of the um, parade, and it's grown. Um, it's really kind of getting some feet under it. So um, remarkably, there were thousands, I don't know how many, but thousands clearly of people who came out for this. So it's becoming a little of a hometown hit. Um, Napa Valley College had... Estimate. I don't know, Carolee, did you ever get a count on folks? But maybe or Raphael was there with students on, you know, 50, maybe. It's probably fair to say 30 to 50 
Napa Valley College students, faculty, staff? In attendance at the parade or like walking no, 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 and participating, walking, you know, right? Like and then hour, uh, yeah. on the truck was athletics, I think, the yes. athletics team? Yeah. Yes. So it was good. So there's ex- there's excitement. And yes. and we need more candy next year, right? We do need more candy. Definitely. Yeah. Um, we, it, we took the opportunity to um, um, kind of highlight and do a soft opening, if you will, on the 75th. So we wore 75th anniversary T-shirts. Um, there was balloons on that, and and so it was a, it was a nice thing. It's it's resonating very nicely in the valley. People really um, like the ownership. There's there's a personal sense of ownership of our 75th by most residents in the valley, and that's really heartening and not surprising, but um, really heartening. Um, Festival Napa Valley is on campus today um, with their retreat and their board of directors. There are a lot of events that were happening. They're a 501c3. We're really happy that as a nonprofit, they're joining the college in um, expansion of the arts. Um, And um, they are focused, as you know, up and down the valley with many events over the next um, week or two. And um, exciting if you can go to them. There's a couple here at the college on our site on July 16, 17, and 22nd. And... um, I believe they'll be seating for um, board members. So if you if you have interest at all in attending or administrators, any administrators here? No, yeah. Um, there's Robin and Carol Lee and Doug. Um, so if if you have um, interest in that, um, make sure to see me. And then there's some selected pieces there, and um, that's that's all that I have on the president's report. Um, let's go to public information and Doug Ernst. Thank you. Um, Dr. Kraft, Mr. Chairman, trustees, I don't want to be redundant, but that 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 uh, athletics meeting the other day was just great because Brian called the media, and, and the register showed up, and the radio station showed up, and the athletics department showed up, the president showed up, everybody showed support for um, it's 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 in the communications report about the third article in um, showing support for athletics is something I think. I think the president, I think Ron Kraft started that, and people are responding uh, to that challenge, that we can be champions. You know, we can actually be number one in athletics. It's a great idea, and I, I think it's working. The other thing I wanted to say was that um, the 75th is moving along nicely. Um, you know, I just want to give you a little bit of, of background on the steering committee met. Uh, the registers on board. They're, they're going to write about this. Uh, the Marketplace Magazine is coming aboard. Uh, there's a banner on the pack. Flags on the street. The parade was a hit. And uh, coming is a website improvement, uh, plugging the 75th. Open House April 7th is being re- recommended. 7.5K run and walk and benefit, maybe for the food bank. Um, legislative breakfast in the fall. So a lot of things are happening. Just wanted you to know we're on it. Thank you, Doug. I think also this is a, it's a wonderful opportunity for board to engage. So a lot of a lot of opportunity. Um, so in between those times when you're not working, um, you know, um, there there will be a lot of uh, a lot of wonderful face time with community. And um, and I think it's easy. Sometimes it's difficult to just advocate to go to an institution or a, a group or a meeting and just advocate generally. 
you know, and it's easy. And you've asked in the past for materials that would help you, and we provided some of those. The 75th gives you an extra layer of why you're there. You know, we just want to make you aware of the 75th, and we're doing outreach this year, and, you know, and it, it's a starter. So um, feel free, right? Well, I think the entire board is going to do the 7.5K run. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. So sign them up. Yeah. Um, President's Cabinet, as I started tonight, is um, they're away. Um, However, Bob is here to carry the water for the entire cabinet. So I'm feeling a little lonely tonight, but uh, summer is a very – Active time for the administrative services area. Our uh, facilities department and our information technology department are supporting summer activities, but then also feverishly getting ready for the fall semester and doing all those things that can only happen during the summer, like uh, classroom upgrades and swapping out computers and things of that nature. In the business and finance office, we are busily trying to pay all of last year's bills and get ready for the auditors and open up new blanket purchase orders for the new year, so uh, lots of activity in administrative services, and uh, we're just keeping the lights on. Thank you. You want to speak on behalf of any extra? You know, you're, you're good? Okay. That's good. Well, thank you. That's all That's all that I have for my report. Thank you. We're now at uh, nine, approval of minutes, 9.1 minutes of the... May 11th, regular meeting. We have a uh, comment card for 9.2. Can we do, if there are no changes from anybody, 9.1? Second. All in favor? Aye. I don't know if we're voting by computer today or. I thought we were just doing them by consensus. No? no. Okay, well, we've got a vote. So those are approved, and we'll move to 9.2. And we do have a uh, Mr. Gary Ortman that wanted to speak on this item. Very important item on. Um, I think it is on. Item number 14.7 of the minutes. My name was spelled wrong. You got it right in item 7, but not in 14.7. And it is Orton, Orton, O-R-T-O-N. I see that on your card. We'll make sure we'll get that. (laughs) And also, I'm accused of being, I'm part of a writer's group writing novels, and I'm accused of being the grammar Nazi. Um, There's also in 7... There are two words, increase, that's an adjective that should be a verb, increase. It happens to be related to the remarks I made. So I'm sorry for bringing this up now. I could have called staff, but I just read the minutes earlier. It's not to embarrass anybody. It's just to get the grammar correct. Thank Thank you. And I have to abstain from these. I was not present uh, at that meeting. So you want to take a uh, vote on that? But with those changes? With the changes, yeah. Yeah. There a move to approve. All in favor? Aye. 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 Abstain. 
Thank you. Item number 10, information discussion items, 10.1, campus housing update. Mr. Orton, we have another speaker card from you for this item. I really don't know what the presentation is going to be, so I... That's, that's fine. We can wait until we, we have some discussion. And I may, not, I may not have to. I had a long discussion with yeah. uh, President Kraft that's what I was share this morning. That. Thank you. So yeah. depends what but he has thank to you, say. Good. But okay, I think, yeah. I think you know... Okay, we, thank you. We can call you back up. If you maybe, want. maybe I have <laughs> something. Maybe I won't. Thanks. Dr. Kraft. Yeah, thank you. Um, well, well, let me preface it to say that I did have a nice long conversation with Mr. Orton this morning. And um, we covered some good territory, and we talked really about some of the clarity issues that um, in and around scoping, focus, goals. I, th I think many of those, as, I, as, as we shared, the, the board over a period of years, um, three or four years, has addressed almost all of those. However, the, uh, the present makeup of the board, this board intact in, in total, um, hasn't really addressed those at one meeting. So we th I thought I would take the opportunity. A, c a couple of the trustees after the last meeting said, you know, why don't, we, why don't we talk about this as an informational item and either correct the record, um, dispel, clarify, and get the board kind of on record. Um, so part of what I wanted to do tonight was to just address um, some of the um, scope of services, kind of what we're doing. Um, if it's okay, and I think it is, Mr. Orton forwarded over a, um, I, I thought we, we talked about it this morning, um, a kind of a campus, Napa Valley College um, campus housing goals and priorities sheet, if you will. And, and, and I would preface this to say this is not unusual. I, I, I talk with a lot of folks in the community who provide many pieces of information for discussion and conversation. So I'm appreciative of it. It was good. We'll see how it goes, Gary, and then maybe I won't be appreciative in a while here. But, but generally speaking, I, th I feel pretty good about it. So it, it was really my goal to kind of work our way through this, um, maybe for the benefit of the board and posterity. <laughs> I don't, you know, whoever might, the millions who may listen um, to, um, to, our, to our streaming. We're not streaming. To our, we are streaming. We are streaming. That's good. But audio is better. Um, yeah. So a couple things. Um, the the um, board consensus needed to inform the public is something that we'll really work on tonight. So maybe I can just engage the board in some conversations so we're kind of shared. Knowing that there are a couple pieces here, that this is um, a 10-year endeavor, that, that there have been previous boards who have adopted this, have come at this um, development effort, even beyond the 10 years. So I think Matt is out there, you know, who's been here for a long time, who's been privy to, um, Christensen, sorry, who, who's been really privy to many years of the board, you know, talking about this. So one of the shared history pieces is that the north corner of, of, the, of this main campus, along with our other district properties, are find them... We find ourselves now with extraordinary opportunity and, and maybe some in, imperatives in development. We shared that um, three or four years ago with the board through and also engaged forums across 
the district with faculty, staff, and students over the period of a couple of years. Um, we have um, had Q&A pieces. We've had presentations by many speakers on the, um, not only affordable housing, but housing in general, the general nature of the economic environment in Napa. And I, I think in some terms also the, the city's involvement in the college and the college's emerging footprint, if you will, in Napa as a very significant player. Um, so with, with all that as kind of background, which is several years of, of information, I thought we might focus on a couple of things. So th there are uh, six questions, really, that are proposed tonight, and maybe I can just get us to help focus on these and um, and talk about them generally. So the first one is the purpose of the development. And uh, the, and we're really talking about student housing as a the first development or phase or project that the board has talked about. And as it, my memory at least serves me, we talked about over the over the past several years, recognizing that a couple board members, um, Rosada and um, Jennifer, you were not here for those, but all the other board members were here. We talked about the campus master plan. We talked about the potentialities. We kind of ended up talking about student housing because it made good sense um, in terms of the kind of the homelessness issue, the, the housing issue, the crunch that we were qualitatively get from our students, the reporting that we got, and and our review of um, local newspapers and other folks. So it it. Um, it became apparent, at least to me, and I felt like it, the board was directing us to move towards a student project primarily as our first goal. So I'm just checking for the record. So, you, And there will be subsequent pieces that are also on the board that, that don't go away necessarily, and that would be faculty and staff housing. There could be, in the future, other kinds of housing which we address, but you know, I think that's down the line or other educators, or we talked about first responders, or, you know, who knows where that might be. It is not part of this initiative, but are we, what am I hearing? Am I, are we, I'm going to just double check with the board. Are we okay on all of that? Yeah. Trustee Martinson? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm glad I, I support focusing on student housing. I guess the concern is that the RFQ mentioned student, employee, and even alumni housing, which is like 25% of NAPA, so I just have a concern, these kinds of inconsistencies that we're, you know, nailing down student, which is what we said when we approved the RFQ, but then the actual RFQ was much broader than that. So I have a concern about that. Let me say, and I, Bob, feel free to jump in or just leave me hanging here anytime. Um, if, you, um, if you want, I think, the, I think the major goal here, I, I think our shared understanding, the, the shared understanding is, is this is a student-oriented um, first phase. Now, because it, it's so easy at, at a university level to define student, it's just easier. They're matriculating in. They're normally that, you know, that four-year student or three-year student or sometimes more, you know, and, it, and it's easier to identify. Our student comes in many shapes, sizes, and ages. So the conversation as we move forward is going to have to be in your purview to help define what student means. It certainly has to be college-affiliated. Does a student mean one class, one unit PE? And I don't think that we're heading that direction. I think, And we've had this conversation generally, 
that a student is probably a, you know a full time student, and we even talked about what would happen after that group and another group. Um, but I think my understanding from from you and the direction I'm feeling from you is that this is a student populated um, first phase, and we haven't decided on the units yet that somebody would take to to be there. But that would certainly be a conversation in the future. I agree that it's uh, definitely that our focus initially is the student housing. And I think it's important that uh, we connect this to the community because what I'm hearing is uh, student housing has a number of opportunities for us. It has the opportunity of bringing more students to the campus because of the ability to be closer, the transportation issues, bringing in people internationally, all all these various student populations. But also what it does for the community is alleviates um, some of the housing strain within the community as well. And I think that that's an important piece to, uh, to really be, you know, be telling people or promoting is that we believe that this can also, because students who do choose to live in the area to go to school here are also people who are going to be using uh, up some of the housing that is already strained in the community, so alleviating some of that. And then also I think it's important as we talk to people in the community that, um, that they do know, Ron, that this is an initial phase and then there may be some opportunities down the road for other types of housing, um, as I'm hearing people say. But you've got so much land, and we need housing, and all of this. To and and they think that this is kind of the end of it. So I think making sure that in our conversations that uh, people understand our direction. But I think that our initial direction is spot on. I'd like to, um, since we're kind of setting like policy level direction, I think it sounds like there's consensus that we're focusing on students, but I, I do think it's important to narrow it down further and, and say full-time students. I actually, when I looked at the other community colleges, um, most of them had that criteria that they be full-time students. I think a full-time student that's not able to work um, is, you know, obviously very different than a student that's taking one class. Um, and there's different need there. So I, I think that we should actually specify that we're talking about full-time students. Let me just say that we, I, I'm trying to think of the presentation that we discussed. I think it was the earliest one where you got the big pile of stuff that kind of went to each, each of you. Um, I think the at least one of the best practices that Bob and I talked to when we talked to several other colleges and consultants was it, it tends to sort itself out. So at the end of the day, you you're certainly as a maybe it's like our registration system. You know, priority A is for full time students. If you fill completely with full time students, think then you do, and bless your heart, right? I mean, we all do well. And then it opens to nine or above, and then six or above, or, or something. But um, that's the that's part of the feasibility study as well to determine you know the, the need. But um, I think from what I'm best understanding is that that tends to address itself, and the, and the colleges and universities who have used this use this approach quite effectively. Wouldn't that determine the scope when you're 
when you're looking at the scope, obviously it's very different if, you, if you're talking about full-time students versus anybody taking class. Um, you define the scope unless you define who you're, who you're serving. Some of that comes, well, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting question. It, it, it is part of scoping. So, it, you know, what we have to do is determine who, who we're building it for. Our, and the, the more we do in feasibility studies, surveying, um, as we move forward, um, I, I was going to share with the board, we've done, let me find my notes here real fast. We have done um, some preliminary surveys, and we're about 800 respondents now in terms of surveys. We did some spring surveys, some summer, and we're getting ready to release um, in August the um, an, another survey release that will go out to students. About 76%, somewhere in there, plus or minus, show great interest in in the housing approach. And most of those students tend to be in the 18 to 22-year-old. I think where we're talking about the same thing, tend to take, be taking more units directed towards um, either a certificate or, you know, an AA degree here or transfer. Um, in that in that group are also um, folks who may or may not be, uh, I think we maybe all know examples of students who will vary in their enrollment pattern. So they'll take 12 off-season. Right now it's very difficult for, for workers in the industry up Valley to take a full load, so they don't. Um, in spring semester, it's a lot easier for them. Crush is over, things calm down, they're able to go back to work, their, their counts go up for that that group. So it's a little variable that we'll have to just kind of play with. But I think we're in agreement there. Yes? This past weekend, I was given a presentation by TCAS, and that's the Institute of Co Poor College Access and Success. I, I really like this idea for one reason, because the cost of uh, higher education and the community college system is more than the state and UC system after college grant college aid is given. And I could give a present. I could show you. I could share the presentation I was given. That I really like this idea because of that. It would offset the cost that low-income students have to pay for education. I think it gets at that. Thank you. That's good. <clears throat> so, in terms of the the purpose and and the scope, I think that's the goal. But we also talked about you know if if there's priorities, you know mm -hmm. you know why are you doing it? It's kind of the why question. And I, and I think my understanding, and I'll again check, has been for several reasons. One is is that exact reason, student success. So we, we do definitely have a housing crisis in Napa Valley. Um, the city and county are exploring. I'm not an expert on this, so I just have to kind of relay what I've heard. But granny units and flats and conversion of extra rooms, those things which used to be um, unavailable and really bird-dogged by the city and county are now being encouraged and in fact, they're providing grants to convert bedrooms in your home to um, to mm -hmm. units. Yeah. So it's different. We are now officially in a crisis mode in the county. So um, expanding that inventory is good. The other piece is student success, um, creating an environment where students live, work, and study on campus. The third was, and we talked about this, if there is revenue that is generated or accrued above and beyond the costs, those dollars are useful and welcome for the community college to help offset other costs. Um, we've also talked about how those funds may, or may be used to 
subsidize students if it's enough um, to help offset general fund to help to which basically would be again for students or to help students generally. There's a hundred ways to do that, all in the in the the venue and the in the policy decision and direction of the of this board. Before we get there, Kyle, did you have a comment? To me, this can't happen fast enough. And my understanding is that it's students first and student housing first as the beginning element. And I wish that we could focus on a broader approach and be looking at faculty and staff housing right now. But my understanding is that it is student housing. And I think that it's an opportunity for the college to provide some leadership to the community right now by addressing this issue. I don't think that we can make it just full-time students because I think a lot of part-time students would, you know, take more classes if they had the ability to live on campus. Um, I think we are a little limited in our RFQ, but I understand why. I think um, some of the requirements that we had in the RFQ made it a little too strict. Uh, primarily the four student housing plans, I think, had that been a little looser, we maybe would have gotten more interest in our RFQ. I'm curious to see how many we have right now, but this is a good good thing, and my understanding is that student housing is where we start. I, I have, um, that's always been my understanding. I know there's been discussion about other types of housing, but I've had a concern about that the entire time. Um, and I still have a concern as we discuss this that people are saying phase one, you know, the first phase or the first step. And I think that just confuses the issue. I think for some people it, it makes them think that we're already planning to go to other types of housing after this. So I would really try to want us to be a lot more clear and more specific that this is about student housing. And there is no plan to move on. I know there's a lot of interest in the community in other types of housing. We've already had groups approach us about that. But I think we're, we're at a community college. This is about the students. This is the first of these types of projects you know, other than strictly classrooms that we're getting into. And I see this as right now, that's all it is. Once we, we go through this, if it works out, if feasibility, you know, continues to drive us forward um, and we're able to, to take this project, uh, you know, to the end and have that, I think once we've done that and gotten through this would be the time to come back and consider other things from what we learn as we move through this project. Uh, so I, I think we should just be careful about that. I think people get the idea that we've got five different types of housing already lined up, uh, which is, in my view, not true. And not what we're doing. Well, how Jennifer? would you... Oh. I was just going to say I agree 100%. You took the words right out of my mouth. That is particularly with the use of the word phasing. I think that we have to be very cautious about that and, and be very clear that this is what we're planning. And if everything goes beautifully and it's and then, yeah, we can consider those things down the road, but it's not part of a current plan. 
I think my point was just not to, uh, if people are, are talking to us and they're requesting, you know, can this happen down the road or whatever, to just not make it sound like it's a dead end. You know, this is what we're doing now. Um, yes, and we all need to have consensus on this is what we're doing now and speak with that one voice. But as people are bringing this to us, that um, we leave it, you know, to where there's an open door that we're listening. I mean, I don't how 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 would you how would you I guess I'm asking you how would you handle those comments? I would say that that's something that we would come back after this project is done to consider. It's not something under consideration right now. Okay. Can I ask a, are you okay on this? Yeah. I, I need to ask a clarifying and get kind of a sense of the board as well. So during this process in the, in the, in the previous three years prior to right now, I made a presentation to the Classified um, Senate, and I also made a presentation to the Faculty Senate asking for their general interest um, in terms of faculty staff housing, and they're, they're generally interested. Um, you know, we haven't gone any farther, but I want to I make sure or not whether or not we should include questions of feasibility, of the nature of feasibility in this cycle, or whether or not that's not the board's decision and you would rather I, we waited until or I waited until we were completely finished with this before addressing even the possibility of faculty and staff. So that clarity would help. I, I think that you know, faculty housing is, is something that would more naturally follow student housing. We've had, you know, the groups we've, we've had inquiries from have been from the outside, uh, you know, low-income workforce housing outside of, of college. So to me, the, the faculty housing more naturally follows. Um, and while we're not planning for that right now, if some of this information we're gathering uh, may help in the future if we get to that point, I, that seems okay to me. It's okay. I just want to, I want you to be clear, though, so once you ask somebody, you know, a question, right, you know, would you be interested in faculty and staff housing? Then they may come back and say, you know, hey, what about us? And maybe that's exactly your point, which is good. The demand would be there. Right, and, and we say, you know, if the, the student, and I apologize if I jumped in on you there, but, you know, if the student housing goes, goes well and it looks like it's something we can handle, uh, um, then naturally I think the faculty would having a, a good faculty that, that is, and staff that, you know, are assured of, of you know, their, their workplace where they live and, and making it easy for them, that's great for the students. Um, my bigger concern is opening this up or appearing that that's where we're moving to that outside of the district, other types of Actually, I need clarification now because I thought we had it settled. We we're just talking about students, but now you're talking about maybe doing feasibility for college employees. So, no, I guess I'm my question was, well. you know, in the it was it was it has been and up until this evening a, a topic of 
repeated um, um, repeated interest. So we've been talking about fa- student and faculty and staff. It, it appears in almost everything. So I think the focus of this first project that we had talked about and I brought to you, which is, hey, I think it's going to be simpler and smoother, as you repeated tonight, um, in terms of student orientation. But faculty and staff are kind of waiting in the wings, if you will, to see you know, how it's going, which is, I think, in agreement. Um, so the, the question really is, if, if in this feasibility study that would be conducted you know, by, by a program manager as we move forward, um, it, it, it's natural that they would, we would ask them or not. That, that was the, the point, whether or not we would engage them to ask the question of faculty and staff, whether they were interested. Not to confuse the issue. I think it um, confuses the issue. If, that's, if we're might. focusing on students, I think the feasibility should be around student housing. Like you said, if you bring up our employees interested, then I think it confuses the matter. I, I think the gathering, I mean, we're pretty, we're so early on here that um, gathering information is just that. It's gathering information. And that's going to help us. I mean, I don't know how I could make a clear decision if if the focus, if the information gathering is too narrow. Um, so I, I wouldn't have a problem with finding out, uh, you know, with bringing more information into the feasibility study because that's not saying that's what we're going to do. That's saying how do we know what we're going to do. I believe I'm hearing two things, and let me just double-check. So I could bifurcate with when we go out for this feasibility piece to make sure that we don't ask those same questions in the same survey. So a student survey is a student survey. And if we decide to ask our 100 faculty, full-time faculty, it's a separate something. But um, I am hearing, let's let's address, the, this is what I think I'm hearing, let's address the student piece first and then move forward, you know, depending on all, all, all present speed, move forward as a second piece um, to see if there's interest out there for our other constituents. Does, does that raise an expectation that we're doing student, faculty, and staff housing? He wants, that's what he wants. Well, I, are, you, are you talking about just in terms of the feasibility study or the actual development? Or? If it's feasible to do Just following up on what Kyle said, I mean, the housing crunch and what's happening to the Napa Valley Unified School District and American Canyon, they're moving away. 
because they can't afford to live here. And what are we, the college students, you know, I think that um, they're not going to have to deal with, uh, with the traffic or, you know, they can't afford to live here. But it, it, it may, the faculty may, you know, go through that as well, depending on where they live. They have to commute. Um, you know, I'm not advocating it. Students is first and foremost. But if we but can't it, attract faculty, how does that help it, the students? It follows, yeah, it follows. It follows, so, so they're kind of... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not against faculty housing. I think we, I like the idea, though, of let's start with student housing and accomplish that. That's already a major task, and if that goes well, then I feel like we could shift our attention to employee housing. That's just my, my feeling. Um, but one other thing I want to talk about as far as the purpose of the development in terms of students, one thing that hasn't been clarified is, is the focus affordability or is the focus raising revenue? Because, you know, the number that Dr. Kraft threw out during the PowerPoint presentation, and I know that was a draft, but in terms of a sample rent was 800 to $1,200 per month. And while that might be affordable for Napa, that's not affordable for most full-time students. Um, and when I looked at some of the other colleges, I, I found that they're offering rents that are much lower. Um, Taft's is $200 a month. Lassen's $300 a month. Shasta's $425 a month. Feather River, $510 a month. So most of them are much lower than that. So I'd like to see us set policy-level direction that affordability is the priority. Um, not raising revenue because that is very that makes a big difference when you talk about what the project is going to look like. You know, in terms of you know what is the style of the project? Are they shared rooms? Are they single rooms? Are there swimming pools? Is there a gym? You know, so what is the focus? Affordability or raising revenue? I think we need to establish that at tonight's meeting. Good question. <clears throat> yes. At other at other institutions, do they have faculty housing? Mm-hmm. There's one. If if you say just if you say institutions, educational institutions, other, yeah, I mean hundreds, yeah, or even Community thousands across the United States. Just a second part. If we if we make it to where it's only full time students, I would be worried if it would make low income students not eligible for this since they can't afford to be full time in the first place. Not to put it at three units, but maybe nine. I'm not exactly sure on the number exact, but so if it's full if it's full time might make it so that low-income student can't qualify for it in the first place, which is just the point I want to make. Good point. Um, Michael. Michael. Yes, thank you. Uh, a couple of comments. Thank you, Amanda. I appreciate your comments, and, and all of my fellow trustees. The um, And when I heard you reference a movie, I looked at uh, in our presentation earlier in the public comment about our basketball team, so I looked up team sports. And that's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday those classes are held. It's not Monday and Wednesday when I can hold a job Tuesday and Thursday or vice versa. So then I'm looking at, okay, what, what else falls into that culinary, the, the fixed end date, or some I'm moving on. And that's a not only the student athlete, it's culinary, it's corrections, it's EMT, it's criminal justice, it's nursing, it's EWT that have a fixed end date and – and uh, the bet's made for the next cohort or so on and so forth. So there is an end date, and there are students, and I think that's important. 
I haven't run into any faculty that uh, want to live right next to their students. So that uh, um, I would certainly put that in the questionnaire among among when we asked our students that it include all of our career technical education folks as well as the faculty and, and do they want to be how close to their students or is office hours sufficient? Um, thank you. I think we didn't we go back to that point too. Well we I, I was gonna comment on that and then I think we'll take a couple more comments but I think that's a good point that you brought up. Um, I certainly think that we need to look at affordability um, because I think that's the whole point of this. And so affordability is going to have to be defined. What is affordable for our students in, in looking at who they are, where they're coming from? Um, you know, that, that definition may not be what we're all thinking about. It may be exactly what Amy's pointing out, that, well, we've got a lot of students coming from and their affordability is not what NASA's affordability is. So I think that's something that's going to have to be defined. Yeah, but I certainly think that should be our goal. It's student affordable student housing. That doesn't mean that there might not be, that's a good project, that there might not be some revenue program that Dr. Kraft said would go back to helping students. But I, I definitely agree that that should be our goal. We're lowering rents. Go back to lowering rents. <laughs> well, I have to cover costs. And, yeah, and, right, right. You know, and, and things that you don't anticipate. I guess what I'm saying is, yeah, I just want to get consensus on that because it is really two different things, and it's important because, again, it, it will shape what the project looks like, you know. Um, so I think that we need to get consensus on that. And, I, and I'll – I'm sorry. No, that, I, to, um, to the affordability aspect, I believe – the referenced community colleges are in ex where land is a lot cheaper, rents are a lot lower. Uh, Taft, um, I believe you mentioned Shasta and so on. The land values there are completely different. So affordability, yes. Uh, however, we need also to be conscious of of, uh, of the areas that we're, we're serving and the students we're serving. This isn't Taft. It, it, and yes, Napa Valley is one of the most expensive places to live. Granted, uh, but yes, let's look at that whole picture of market and affordability and, and uh, our students. Jennifer, well, I was going to say that we would need to, to work with who, whatever company is going to be doing this work to determine and define what is affordable for Napa, because that's going to impact whether or not it's feasible. Right. So that. I mean, we need to not only decide is affordability our main goal, but we need to decide what is affordable. Or maybe we don't need to decide, but somebody needs to decide. Kind of to um, Trustee Baldini's point, I, I guess what I reason why I brought up those other colleges is that if we're not looking at market, having the market decide, if we look at how the market decides, then, yeah, 800 to $1,200 is affordable. For Napa, but if those colleges can construct a, a, a facility for their students at those prices, I'm, I don't understand why we can't as well. And that's my point: is that if they can offer those prices to their students, we should be able to do the same. Well, I think 
everything here is more expensive. Construction is more expensive. Uh, all of those things. But, so the feasibility should help us decide, well, this is what you can construct. You can't do it if you're going to charge three. And then we're like, well, we're not doing it unless we're willing to say, well, there will be 700. Chair, regarding faculty housing, is that including part, uh, full-time, part-time, and, and adjunct, or just one of the above? Well, we're, we're not there, so we haven't okay. really discussed those issues. Okay. Um, that's, that may be something that would maybe be yeah. in the future, after this, hopefully after this project is successful. I can hear that question coming up in the future, though. That's a good one. I, I would say, and I think what I've heard from the board before, I, I'm hearing you loud and clear. I believe the consensus is about portability, and we've talked about that more than any of the other pieces. Student success. Um, there are some tangible, uh, kind of tangent uh, issues. You know, la- you know, traffic mitigation, pedestrian usage, bicycling, those kinds of things. Living, learning environments. We've we've also provided some. Statistics and metrics on, you know, students who live and work on campus do better. Um, they engage higher. Um, we also have at, at detail um, outlined for you on different occasions that we would not build um, in student housing with um, deep amenities because, remember, we talked about our use of our pool, our use of our parks, our use of our gym, and we have a really very unique, nature here in that the student housing that you're anticipating or thinking about is literally a two-minute walk from so many other amenities across the street. That, that would make it uh, um, entirely possible to build really nice units um, at something that was not, um, not going to cost an arm and a leg. And again, Matt knows. I'm sorry, Matt. You know, it's the trouble of being a, a, a back there, right? But, you know, you can build as you know, I mean, there are homes in the valley who spend ten thousand dollars a square foot, you know, versus you know the sixty that I might want to try. Um, but somewhere between those numbers, you know, there's something that's a a great quality looking, and we've talked about um, at least from our initial consultants, um, you know, and just looking at um, best practices that furnished units work better, they reduce costs, you know, so all that has to kind of be built in to the to the equation. Not that mean it's true. I just have a clarifying question. Um, so you just mentioned that we're not talking about deep amenities anymore, so I was wondering why in the RFQ um, experience having done mixed-use development was made as a criteria for those responding. So what kind of R- development? I'm sorry. So in the RFQ, uh, one of the criterias for the potential project managers was experience um, having done mixed-use development projects. And I'm wondering why we put that in there as a criteria if we're just talking about student housing and not some of these other amenities, the cafe, the bookstore, the gym, and all of that. Well, those things... Um, a cafe may not be a, an amenity like we're talking about. I, I, I would anticipate that there might be something on this side of the street. I don't know what that might be, but that's why I'm, I'm not. This is not my biz. I mean, so it's possible that there's a. We, we've talked about it, a duplication center that's a, a cubby, or something. You know, I have no idea what our students would enjoy. You know, I, what I do know is the lessons, and we've shared this that we learned from Sonoma State and other community colleges that. 
don't build a bunch of infrastructure that you don't need if you already have it. So, um, I guess my concern is that because we put that in there, it might exclude somebody from responding that had just done student housing and hadn't done mixed use. Oh. Uh, we made that a requirement for um, the applicants, and I'm just wondering why we made that a requirement. And then it sounds like we're not doing that, so I'm just concerned that that excluded people who had just done student housing, which is really all we're talking about. Well, I think part of it is we're trying to decide what we're doing. Now it's more clear that we're trying to focus on student housing and that it won't be people with a swimming pool and those sorts of things. Um, I think when you start the RFQ, we weren't this far along. That's what I'm concerned about, that we should have done this before we put out the RFQ and we didn't, and that maybe now people have been excluded that would have been good applicants based on what we're now defining. We'll see the RFQ closed about two hours ago, and um, today, actually. And so um, we'll see. We'll, we'll have a good eye, too. You know, I think one of the questions, I'm not sure where it is, but Gary and I thank you, Gary, for their questions, but one we talked about was the, you know, kind of screening committee, which we, we again, addressed. Um, that's the cabinet, which are the, um, the vice presidents and the president, and the board subcommittee on land use, which are three of you. So meeting together to screen and look at those, and um, if in the wisdom of that group we feel like we've omitted or we need to go back out or extend or change, then we will. Um, I, I would anticipate that we would have a, a, good, a good, robust group of people kind of aiming in. And one of the pieces that I think... I heard loud and clear from you is that we did not want to enter into uh, part of the reason for the RFQ was to avoid, if you will, you know, individual one-up house builders or small developers without adequate background in doing um, more complicated student-oriented housing. Like, I don't know the answer to the question whether or not it has to pass Field Act. Uh, maybe, I don't know. And, you know, Field Act is the earthquake-proof thing. You know, I don't know, Matt, whether or not it's a yes or no, or but who knows, you know. Um, so you have to have some expertise in this stuff. Matt, you should just sit up here. I'm just calling you all night. Um, sorry, man. Um, so, so who's okay. going to be on the committee to decide? Uh, di- different than the people I just mentioned? Yeah. But what, are there other college stakeholders, classified, faculty, students going to be on No, there? no, no, at this point. So uh, in terms of the selection committee, yeah. it is the board and the cabinet. And, that, and we, will, we will narrow down in that group, those seven, seven eight people, we'll narrow down the, the, the RFQs and then bring to um, conclusion, I hope, um, you, know, our, you know, the one or two. We'll see how it goes. Can we include more stakeholders in that decision? Actually, I mean, that's a, you know, I think, certainly the I we like could for there, there to be more stakeholders in making that decision. My recommendation as a CEO is if you broaden it too big, you're going to get lots of different varying voices, um, and it, it may and maybe that's what you want, right? It's varying voices. Um, certainly, we're. I think cabinet and and the board can adequately represent what we're looking for here. If there's a question on this or it feels less than clear, I think what we, you know, we'll definitely come back. We're, there's no um, – three of the board members here are going to address that as well. 
Can I ask a question about that? Mm-hmm. Um, referring to the three board members that are on the real property or whatever, I forget what it's called. Once you add staff into that equation, doesn't that make it a Brown Act thing? A what? If you saying that cabinet is also going to participate with this committee, does that make it something that's subject to Brown Act? Because my understanding was that an ad hoc committee could not have a staff person sitting in on it. Is that am I incorrect about that? I think you are, but this is not a this ad hoc committee. Um, I wasn't thinking about those that this being a. a a meeting of an ad hoc committee. I mean, this okay. is the, the ad hoc committee is actually joining cabinet in its deliberation, if you will. So it's not, it, it, and it already is an ad hoc committee. So it's just part of this single purpose for this committee is to explore these, this issue out here. So I don't think that there are issues. So I, I think we, <laughs> think we've given you a lot <laughs> to go over, and I think we have to remember that we aren't going to be able to figure all this out. We're going to have to rely on you know, the experts that we have advising us to, to answer a lot of these questions for us to set more of the specific policy and make some of those decisions. So, but but I certainly think we, we, we did a, um, quite a good job of, of piling things on here for you to, to look at. Mr. Ortman, did you want to speak? If I could take two minutes, I'll be very brief. And I want to thank you very much for the conversation you had. I think it was helpful, helpful for the public to recognize that you're still coming together to reach a consensus. I think that I, I heard loud and clear affordable student housing is the primary focus. It doesn't mean that there are, you can't think about other things, but it's important, I think, that we, we know that. Um, I think there's a couple of other issues that you need to consider, have staff consider. I think the, I think there's a problem, and I'm going to put my attorney, my former attorney's hat on and counsel to other boards and whatever. I think it's difficult when you start to get a board member helping make staff-like decisions. Some of these decisions require confidential information to be given in the form of documents that raises all sorts of public record acts because you can't, you cannot discriminate. Um, if you give a, a confidential record to one board member, every other board member is entitled to that record. And you start to have some problems, some logistics problems. So yeah, I, one of the things I encouraged you to do is consult with legal counsel early on regarding this process and also regarding competitive policies and procedures. And I haven't seen those policies or procedures adopted at the administrative level even regarding keeping this competitive. My suggestion in my written communications to you was to have the selection committee, and that's the second stage, not the first stage where you kind of weed out the ones that you probably aren't going to be very competitive, and you get a group of three or four that you then have the interviews with. Um, it's, it's, it's really important that, that you get counsel involved in making sure that process is correct so that you get competition because you're going to, the public contract code says you don't even have to go out to bid in this stuff. So therefore, scrutiny is really required in having procedures that do allow competition. And one of the ways you get competition, as Orange Coast College did, is you make that second selection committee fairly broad in the staff community, staff and, and faculty and administrators. Okay. 
you can have it a little bit larger, maybe six or so that they used. And yeah, it's good that you have different opinions because that's what gives the competition. <laughs> that's it might be more difficult, but once you give up, you know, once you want to bypass the the public bidding process, then you have to institute something that will bring some competition into it. So the the other thing is, and it has to do with this question that keeps coming back, and we kind of I kind of hear the conversation float around a little bit, and it has to do with the net revenue um, from my research and what Orange. Coast College did, um, and what my reading of the also the the law that allows you to do public-private partnerships without going into the bidding code is that anything any revenue that's generated from this activity has to be used for that activity, either directly or indirectly. So you, obviously the electricity and maintenance of the building, but also if there's enhanced. Uh, um, security that's needed, yeah, you could pay those indirect costs for that, but you can't go using it to give scholarships for other things. Maybe a scholarship for somebody as a resident of the of the unit, so you can reduce that person's um, rent. But it has to be related, in my reading. So that's why you need to check with legal counsel before you start making assumptions that you can generate a million dollars a year for the college when you have to pump it back in to the residents. So. Those affect, are going to affect your decisions. You don't have to make that. You don't have to know that tonight for the direction you're giving. But it's as a board member, with your fiduciary responsibility and your oversight responsibility. You really need those questions asked. I've asked those questions in writing, and I assume they will get answered sometime. And thank you very much because that was a wonderful discussion. I think uh, President Kraft, you may have learned a few things that you thought that everybody was on the same page, and it was a good discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Um, kind of to his point about going back to this committee, that's, I, I agree. I think, I think it's a little inappropriate to have board members on that. It, we wouldn't do that in any other situation. All of that would be done by staff, and then it would come to us as a whole board, and we just have a little bit of a concern of three board members. Um, I just think it's outside of the role of a board member. I think it's inappropriate. But. Well, well, we'll certainly look into those issues. But I don't think it's inappropriate for a board committee to be involved in this process. But we we will uh, look into those issues as well as the ones that uh, Mr. Orton has raised um, as we go along. Thank you. And we're going to move on. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Let's see. Where are we? 10.2. First reading of new, revised, or to be repealed board policy. I think this is going to be um, Managing Director Carolee Katalika. Um, well, we've talked about this board policy a few times, and um, it is coming before you for a first read. We have uh, taken the step that we're taking with the entire board policy manual to move the procedures out of the policy and into regulation. And so what you are looking at, as a first read is the leak template related to the establishment and operations of auxiliary organizations. So this, this just to clarify for the board, this what's um, what's open on the screen right now mm-hmm. is the primarily the league CCLC, the league template. Correct. Okay, which kind of follows through, even though you know, and I would comment. We talked about this, and I'm just. Yeah. Trying to trying to assist a, a little bit. Most of the league um, templates are very, very short. 
very narrow, you know, kind of uh, in terms of um, their, their language, but their scope is broad. So this one tends to be a little more, a little even deeper, just because of the auxiliary piece. And then what have you done with the ARs? Um, we're, again, using the lead template, and I've attached them here for your information. Um, this is, it varies uh, slightly from what was the previous board policies language, and we have undertaken a thorough review of all the bylaws, master agreements, facilities, use agreements to make sure that we're meeting each of the requirements in here. So um, a revised master agreement came forward for the VWT Foundation last month or the month before, and the master agreement for DAS will be coming forward as well, or maybe that did as well. I'm sorry, that also came through. Um, and those bodies are going to revise their bylaws. We have initiated with the business office um, some more formal procedures for the timing and methodology of compensation between the auxiliaries and the district. So I saw it before the whole markup thing. So, so basically, we're adopting the the CCLTC templates for both the board policy and the administrative regulations, right? Correct. Okay. And and that template language was kind of smushed all together in a policy previously. It wasn't that we weren't using that language. Okay. I move to approve. Uh, it's just okay. I support it. <laughs> and that's good to know too. I support it. Yeah. And it probably, yeah. um, it will come back to you for a second reading and adoption, not until September, so that we can make sure that the Council of Presidents, which is our uh, shared governance group, has ample opportunity to weigh, weigh in. One, one of the things, I, I support the new policies. One of the things that it brought up for me is um, a lot of questions. Um, and most importantly, um, on page 11 in the policy it talks about um, compliance review by the superintendent slash president um, and it basically says that every three years the president is supposed to look at everything look at the bylaws look at the um, the written agreement um, and make sure that everything is following board policy and the law and um, and these policies and um, I don't think that's happened um, at least it hasn't happened since I've been on the board I don't know if it's ever happened so um it it ha it has happened it, ha it hasn't been formed it, it you know you didn't get an annual report delivered to you so we are doing that now and um that should come either in august or september um and it'll have a full compliance review we'll have the financials and a thorough description of what the auxiliary is doing okay thank you any other questions okay thank you Thank you. Uh, Ten point three board policy manual chapter two administrative regulation. Is that Carolee again? Or? I think that it is. I'm sorry, but um, there are no proposed regulations at this time. So well done. <laughs> <laughs> so there, we did. Our committee did meet, and we'll we'll talk more when we get to committee reports. But I think by next month's agenda, we'll have some. There goes your committee report. 
Yeah, you're you're not going to cut off my committee report. No way. Okay. Um, Eleven consent calendar. Any items that need? Uh, I have questions. A couple of questions about. I think it's number seven. Eleven seven. Are you, are yes, eleven point seven. Are you asking to to pull that from the um, consent, or do you have a brief? Well, I have questions about it, so it's up to you if you want to answer them and then and then do it as a lump or take it out or whatever. whatever. <laughs> well, if you've got questions, I think we Just need to pull it. it. I want to pull so, 11.5. So we've got no, pulling 11.5. And actually 11.3 as well. Uh, 11.3, 11.5, and 11. Move to approve all even numbers. <laughs> all those in favor? Aye. 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 Okay, then let's uh, go to 11.3 Human Resources document, Trustee Martinson. Can you open this up, Cynthia? Because I'm not. We'll have to go to something specific. So, Between Bob and I, we will do our best. St- yeah. Yeah, I, oh, you're Charo tonight. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I can actually, I can wait. Uh, yeah, if it's a problem, I just, um, I just had a, I was had a question. About, oh, yeah, just kind of a question slash kind of concern about. So I noticed they're hiring 13 part-time hourly counselors for the fall, and I'm just wondering how these part-time hourly counselors are used. If they're used kind of like other part-time hourly people during only like peak act season or during certain specific times of the year or all year long. So I just had a question about that. I'll, do you have a better answer? But, yeah, I can answer it as well. Unfortunately, I don't. Um, the, the best answer would be from either Oscar or Charo, um, neither of whom are here tonight. So okay. yeah. I can do a little better than that one. Okay. But, yeah, but not much. Um, I did talk to Oscar about this, and, and, and they're seasonal. It really is to bring in folks to deal with that crush and to really address the ed, ed planning piece, and to and so the the um, the focus here is to, is to make sure that everybody has that smooth you know entry into the into the college at the beginning. So that's what he shared with me. Yeah, and yeah. I just had a concern about like what that does to the quality of the service the students get. I actually saw um, I was looking on Solano's website and on their counseling page, and I thought it was really interesting. They they have a big thing there. It says. Um, they have a case management model of counseling. This is a new thing in which students have been assigned one counselor for the duration of their time at Solano. Your assigned counselor will assist you, with, and it lists all the things. Um, so I just thought, you know, like that consistency of service and having somebody that's really knowledgeable from beginning to end, you know, obviously it's important. So I just wanted to put that out there. Um, that Maybe you could look at Solano and what they're doing and how that's going. It's a new thing for them. And then the other question was, I was just curious, um, Howard, uh, there was kind of an extra thing on there, assume responsibility for director student support services duties. Did he take on a new role, Howard? No, this is a, this is a renewal of that. He is, he's been in that role of SSSP um, in addition. So it's just a renewal this year. We do it annually. Okay, thanks. Okay, can we get um, a motion to approve? So move. Aye. 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 Okay, 
five. Proof of agreement with Wells Fargo. Was that you, Amy? Yeah. So um, I just I brought this up last year when we approved this insurance, and I had a concern about it um, because we all know about Wells Fargo and um, not just its bad reputation, but its crimes. I mean, they've been convicted of crimes and had to pay fines and. Um, a couple years ago, we adopted that document, how to do business with Napa Valley College, and um, it included the idea that we work with ethical um, partners, um, and, and they're not ethical. They're, they're, they're not a good business, and so that's one just a concern that it's Wells Fargo. And then um, I was also, when I was looking at that document, it talked about how for any service that was between $5,000 and $85,000, that three written quotes were required. And I was wondering if we put out three written quotes for that service. So, Bob, if, um, do you mind, Gary? He may, if, if he, okay. Can I also have before Bob answers? So, um, so, first of all, I want to disclose that Wells Fargo Bank is uh, my largest client, and Wells Fargo Insurance Services is a completely different entity from Wells Fargo Bank. So to lump them into people opening checking accounts is apples oranges. They're really, really different entities, and Wells Fargo Insurance Services um, underwrites through other insurance companies. They don't even really have products that they are directly uh, service, you know, service. So um, anyway, so I just wanted to clarify that because I know a little bit about how they operate. Okay, so let me just say a couple of things. First of all, when we brought this to you last year, it was the result of reaching out to the two major providers of student insurance uh, in California, it was a company called Student Insurance, who were our previous uh, student insurance provider, as well as Wells Fargo. And uh, it was something that we do uh, periodically to make sure that we are receiving the best pricing for student insurance. And all of this happened before um, the uh, information came out about Wells Fargo. And so Wells Fargo was the lowest price bidder last year, and so we selected Wells Fargo last year. What we're bringing to you tonight is a renewal of that contract, a request to renew that contract, and we're suggesting renewal of that contract for two reasons. First of all, it is difficult to change year after year after year from one provider to another. You're using different forms. You're using uh, different contacts, uh, and so we do typically stay with the same provider for a few years. Uh, the other thing is that the provider of our primary insurance coverage for the district, Keenan Associates, never provided student insurance in the past. They are, starting later this year, going to be providing student accident insurance. And so we will be reaching out to them when we look to renew at this time next year for a quote. And then the third reason that we're uh, suggesting renewal of this contract is that Wells Fargo, when we were requesting these uh, quotes, actually revealed that the Wells Fargo Insurance Division is being sold and that that contract 
it's pending regulatory approval but should close within the next three months. And so our provider will not be Wells Fargo for the bulk of the time of this contract, but will actually be a company called USI Insurance Services, which is a large, large provider, large insurance broker that works in this particular market. Mr. Chair? I wouldn't want to see this be hung up because of the deadline and, I mean, for our sports teams, basketball, soccer, golf, all the other ones, I'm not going to name them all. But maybe in the future, having a process, I don't know if it would necessarily be an RFP, but some kind of, you know, so it's we can look at it. And so for, for a contract of this size, we wouldn't typically do a formal RFP, but we would periodically reach out to providers of this service to request quotes from them. And we do intend to do that next year because, number one, the provider is going to be changing for us this year, moving from Wells Fargo to USI Insurance. And number two, our primary insurance provider will now be able to provide that service for us. So we'll be reaching out to those competitors to get bids and bring that back to you next year. And I think that just the last point on that is that we do have a policy about doing business or with the, the district and, and I'm sure you know, looking at that when you go through these procedures. So. Maybe Thank you. trying, maybe reaching out to some local, are, is there anybody at the local level that does this? I'm going to put Matt on the spot because... Um, Mr. Orton, did you have uh, comments? That was really illuminating, though, that uh, they had to change their name. They had to sell it because probably with all of the pressure from throughout the United States, because we all know it's a subsidiary of a control fraud. And it's been a control fraud for a long time. And, the, you know, the uh, federal government sued them back in 2012 and collected uh, several years later $1.2 billion in a settlement because of the fraud. And the stuff I sent you, the uh, governor of uh, Ohio, no friend to the liberal cause, said, Wells Fargo's culture was compromised by greed. When he, This is John Kasich. When he announced that the state would stop doing business with the bank for a year, the company has lost the right to do the business in Ohio because of its actions have cost its public confidence. So I'm glad we finally realize, because it has to change its name and do something else, that it's a fraud, too. So that's good. I mean, I understand. But my second point in my written communication to you was that, really, you do need to have a policy, not just for this, but for all service providers like this, brokers, to periodically, and it can change. It can be longer for the more complicated. And I was in... To, to, to actually go out and do an RFP or solicitation if it's on the smaller contracts. Bob's right. I worked with several people in Napa starting in 2012 with the county treasurer and the board of supervisors. The bank that they used was Wells Fargo. Had for 10 years. The treasurer acknowledged that's too long a period of time without going out for another solicitation to figure out if there's other providers out there that could do it better but with better services. So I recommend that 
the district also do that. I mean, it's just a broker. This The insurance comes from AIG or Anthem or something like that. So the insurance is there. You need a broker, right? I mean, how difficult should it be to find a broker? You need to go out and do that on a periodic basis. I agree. You're under a time crunch now. You probably can't do it. And I was really heartened to say that there'll be at least a different name on the on the on the door come three months from now. Do the right thing, guys. Thanks. Thank you. Move for approval. Okay. Do I have a second? Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 Oh, we got it popped up? We did? Oh, where? There it is. Okay. There it is. Oh, there it is. <laughs> okay. It's a yay thing. It passed approved unanimously. Okay, item 11.7, Napa Broadcasting Conference. I have um, several questions, um, some of which would be for Mr. Shetman and some maybe just for staff. Um, first is, I just wanted to confirm that this co- the programming that's listed in the contract that is on the agenda is separate from the work that Napa Broadcasting does for documenting the the Board of Trustee meetings, is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Um, also, there was a mention in the uh, contract about um, some analytics um, for number of people who listen or, or log in. Or it, Is that something that has been tracked in the past, and is it available? It has always been tracked, and it is available. And it's interesting to note... <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, given you're asking the question, and I will get copies of that to everybody, but in the two-and-a-half, almost three-year history of Napa Broadcasting, the show that has gotten the most listens, the most clicks, the most listened to, which is 1,611, actually, which is a remarkable number, is the interview that Trustee Baker did quite some time ago. <laughs> I'm famous. <laughs> Yeah, notorious, perhaps. <laughs> um, but the other question I had um, is a little bit is about the 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 money part of it, which I find a little bit confusing. Um, so three hundred and fifty dollars feels really low. Is do we have any sense of how that compares with market rate? And then my and then I'll just give it to you all in like a whole bunch of questions, and you sure. can decide how to answer. And then um, also. The there was a mention in the contract also about NPR type support. Do you get that? And if you do, where is that um, reported? And does it come out of the two hundred dollars that you were doing as like a chargeback per program? And then a final part of that question is when you have this final invoice at the end where there's the amount that would have been charged and the amount that has been provided in service, and then there's the difference, which is frequently in your favor. Is that something that you are able to take as a tax write-off? The answer to – let me sort of work backwards on that. The answer to the last question is no, because we just do it, as as you see on the spreadsheet, and Kelly, if you want to chime in, feel free, 
it's just a rolling number. So it rolls over into the next year or the next year or the next year. So the answer to that question is no. Um, in terms of, the, I, I'm not clear, the only question I'm not clear on is what you were talking about in terms of, of the NPR or whatever. There were, there, um, let me see if I can find it really quickly. There was something in the, the language of the contract about um, sponsorship. Uh, it says ad, audio advertising on Napa Broadcasting and its local programs will not contain traditional spot advertising. Whether shows ah, will okay. have specific sponsors. Right. We, a couple of things. Number one, we have not gotten to the point yet where we have been actively soliciting advertising. As with any online effort, you do it, you figure out a way to get it financed, or you just keep doing it until you have sufficient numbers to justify sponsorship. What that means is that ultimately when we do get sponsors, when we do go out and solicit sponsors, it will not be, and this is relevant in terms of the quality of the program and, and the listenability of the program, it will not be spots. In other words, there won't be an interview with Dr. Kraft that I say, well, just hold on one second while we listen to a commercial from Joe's Muffler Shop. That's not what it will be. The kind of commercials that we would have, the kind of sponsorship we would have, would be NPR-like sponsorship where the program is sponsored where I might say or the host might say at, at a certain point, you know, underwritten by XYZ or, you know, these debates or our election programming is made possible through the, the contribution of Joe's insurance service or something like that. So that's what that's in reference to. And its relevance is to the quality and the sound of what we're trying to do. So that if we're doing, you know, the fireside chats or if we're doing interviews, as we've done over 50 of, with various people here at the college, it's not going to be interrupted by jingles, by commercials, by mattresses, et cetera, et cetera. That is n never the intent and not something we would ever do. So that's what that references. If I can just ask a follow-up on that. Of course. Um, if, if um, so say six months from now, suddenly some, you know, Sutter calls you and says, we want to sponsor the food and wine thing, and so they want to be the – would that be reflected in the contract? With the in, Where would the money go? Um, the money would go – Napa Broadcasting is a for-profit company that doesn't have a bank account at Wells Fargo, I might add. <laughs> um, but seriously, um, no, it, it's for-profit. It would go into the company. If, in fact – Sutter said, we want to sponsor all the stuff you're doing for the college. Then the college would get a piece of that as, as the way it's broken out. There would be a revenue share. But if, in fact, Sutter was sponsoring other things, and there's all the other programming with local electeds and local issues, et cetera, et cetera, that's between Sutter and Napa Broadcasting. That has nothing to do with the college. The college would revenue share on any advertising, any sponsorship, that is incorporated into programming from the college. Because if, you know, Eric is on doing an interview or, you know, the chancellor even, whoever it is, if it's related to the programming that we're doing for Napa Valley College, then Napa Valley College would share in that revenue. I have several questions as well, I think mostly for Dr. Kraft. Um, since we just looked at the the board policy on um, auxiliary organizations, it, it mentioned that 
um, each time you create a new agreement um, for a service, um, that in the written agreement it needs to state why it's being organized under the auxiliary instead of the district. And so I'm wondering about um, the choice to, in the past, this contract was with the district, and now it's been moved to the auxiliary um, DAS. And so I'm wondering about why why that decision yeah. was made. Amy, could, I, I know you, I'm sorry, and I didn't mean to interrupt Dr. Kraft, but the original, con, there's only been one of the contract, and it was with district auxiliary services. There's never been an agreement with any other entity other than DAS. Okay, I thought it was with the district. No. But, um, so anyway, why the decision to have it be with DAS and not the district? The, I'll, I'll, I'm going to relax. And actually, maybe I should, because it's kind of pairing the second question, because one of the things it talks about with these auxiliaries is that, um, that any services have to be, quote, an integral part of the community college's educational programs. And so the second part is how is this an integral part of the community college's educational programs? I'll give it to you. Um, the um, the if if let, let's do a couple of pieces. A to, to just reiterate, it has been a DAS contract. The um, the district auxiliary services. If if you can envision, but you go back to it maybe the BP the the policy on that. One of the things that the chancellor's office has clearly delineated that auxiliary services are useful for is PR and communication. So it it was a natural fit for this. And, and our portion of this contract is really about visibility, college PR. So that was the rationale. Yeah, let, let me just address that in sort of a funny kind of way, because I think it's relevant and, you know, at this point of, of renewal, hopefully it's, it's a good thing to mention. More and more, we are, we, Napa Broadcasting and, and, and all the, the audio stuff that we're doing, both for the college and, and outside of, is quickly becoming the only game in town. You know, in 2003, when I became general manager of KVON, KVYN, shortly after that, the stations were sold. The price that was paid at that point, the guy that bought them, paid $3 million for the station. Over the course of the past 15 years, roughly 14 years that he's owned them, he put maybe a million dollars into the business. So he had $4 million into those radio stations. He's been desperate to sell them for a while. He just sold them. A young couple that came from L.A., they wanted to be in the radio business. It was their fantasy, yada, yada, yada. Bottom line is that he sold the stations for $425,000, 10 cents on the dollar. That's what the market would bear. That was a good price given the reality of the market. The two largest radio companies in the business, Cumulus and iHeart, are both on the verge, one is practically in bankruptcy, one is on the verge of bankruptcy. So that the traditional terrestrial radio business is a business that is in serious trouble. So what it does is it provides opportunities, and, you know, we're hardly the only one, but it provides opportunities for, you know, what, what FDR once called bold, persistent experimentation, the ability to, to do things that serve the local community, that give the local community a voice to do it, you know, in some cases it, it's within a more constrained context. In some cases it's in a more adv adventurous, you know, um, alternative cons construct. You know, we're doing it in the construct that, that I think is, is appropriate here. Um, but this is the only game in town. I mean, these new owners that bought the station, you know, they want to do some stuff on the music side. 
Um, they may do some Spanish language stuff on, on the AM side, or maybe they'll do nothing or close it. And they have a problem in that uh, the transmitters that sit at Kennedy Park, they have a year-to-year lease on, so that at any point the city can say, bye, and that's it. Then they have the problem that they bought the, they bought the stations for $425,000, and it didn't include the real estate that the stations sit on, so they've got a year to find a new facility, a new place to move it and the transmitters. So, you know, we are the only game in town, and really in terms of, of getting this kind of stuff out. And, you know, what we've done, and just following, all this is following up on, on Dr. Kraft's comment about the communications and PR stuff. One, the degree to which we're the only game in town. And two, and this relates to both the college programming and it relates to all the other local stuff that we're doing. We've been, you know, kept a high enough profile that an awful lot of people that had very rarely or not at all been on this college campus have been over here over the course of the past uh, two and a half years. We have had, I would say, 80%, and maybe it's higher than that, I'm being conservative, 80% of the elected officials in this county have been over here at one point. We've done a lot of stuff with wineries. We, You know, Linda Reef, uh, the head of the Napa Valley Vintners, has been over here. Um, Catherine and Craig Hall have been over here. I mean, I can go on and on. Um, a lot of people have had an opportunity to, you know, touch this place that might not have had an opportunity otherwise. So that's been a, a positive part of, of the PR side as well. Mr. Chair. Amy? I, oh, I'm sorry. Jeff, I appreciate what you do. I think it's nice that we still have a radio broadcasting here in Napa. I would consider myself an old school. I like the fact that, you know, we can still listen to your shows. It is a great opportunity for our local electeds to touch an audience, and I'd like to move for approval. I still have some questions. Second. I still have some questions. Yeah. Um, so um, it mentioned, so is this the same space? Are we still talking about the same space? That you're currently in, or our same windowless bunker, space. yes. Okay, so um, Trustee Baker brought up the three hundred fifty dollars and asked how that number was derived at and if it's market rate. I'd say maybe it's above market rate. <laughs> yeah, I you know I, I don't know. Do we know? Do either does any administrator know the square footage, or do you know the square footage? I don't know. No. It was a, well, a, a, if you've been there, yeah, you know. I think it, everybody's been there, but what everybody hasn't seen. I'm sorry? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, way for sure. Yeah. Um, it, it Way less than that. I would say it's less than 500. I'm pretty sure. Um, the, let me jump because in. Because I've, I've been in condos in the city that are five, 600 <laughs> square feet, and yes. I know it's smaller than that. Um and that has to be reimbursed anyway to the district, correct? Because it says that like, staff time has to be reimbursed, rent has to be reimbursed. So that's all reimbursed to the district, correct? That's correct. So, okay. I mean, that's the quid pro quo of the exchange of airtime for the rent. Okay. So well, I'll get straight to what my concern is about the agreement. So I, I know you mentioned that we've had some electeds on and some good publicity, but we also had some negative publicity because, in your own words, you're irreverent and you have offended people. Um, Hope so. Yeah. Well, I'm concerned that, you know, when we're so um, tied up, it looks like we're one and the same. And, you know, regardless if there are, disc- you know, disclaimers that, you know, his comments don't represent the college, 
Um, I don't think those would hold up in court. And um, it's also, it, it's not, I think it's a liability to the college. Um, and it's also could be an issue for our reputation. Um, it, kind of related to that, but something I haven't been, hasn't been brought up before is um, Jeff is heavily involved in elections. Um, and no, not unlike, for example, the League of Women Voters, when they hold uh, forums on our campus and they, they have the same questions for each candidate and all the candidates are invited. And that's not the case um, with Jeff. Certain candidates are given interviews. Others are not. They're asked very different questions. I think so that's the same like, for national <laughs> elections, too. Can I, I finish for a second? Okay. Um, my concern is that we're a public institution and we're not allowed to participate in elections or favor one candidate over another. Um, so I'm concerned, again, that that is a legal issue. Um, so overall, I have no problem with uh, Mr. Sheckman using that space. What I would prefer to see is that for us to be completely independent, that he just lease the space at market rates, um, and then interview our officials as he would interview anybody from the community because that's what he does, um, but not to be so paired with him because in the end we have no control over his content. Um, I don't see anything in the contract that says, for example, that he has to abide by um, you know, the legal standards, some legal standard of journalism or anything like that. So, so can I? Yeah, I'm concerned. I, I, I'd like I, to see us separate yes. and so be independent. Trustee Martin, so is I, it personal? Is no. it personal? I mean, I feel like... It's not personal. Can I, Kyle, ex- can I, do you mind? It's not personal. So first, so first of all, the contract just does have an indemnification clause in it, so it, it doesn't, it's a hold harmless. So that kind of, you know, eliminates us from liability for anything he might say. Um, but we don't... We don't know that the printer that we use to print something, right, isn't endorsing something that we wouldn't endorse. So how are we holding him to a different standard than we would hold somebody else that we do business with? May I? May I? I'm sorry. No, I was just, I was going to make a suggestion, but you go ahead. Okay, let me let me let me make a couple of quick comments. Um, number one. I think we're all, and I, I know I speak for some of the members of the board, you know, everybody's involved in politics, everybody's active, everybody's out there doing things for, for their particular candidates, their particular cause. You guys are far more representative of the college than, than I am or anything I would do. I've seen a number of you at various political events so that, that you have profiles, you have reputations, um, you are elected members of this college board, and you're politically active. That's number one. Number two, I I have to respond. I I probably shouldn't waste the time, but I'm going to anyway, and I hope you'll indulge me. In a comment that that Trustee Martinson made, which was way off the reservation with respect to, quote, unquote, the legality of journalism, I think that that completely misses the point of of journalism in general and of what's happening in journalism today. Uh, If you'll indulge me, I'm going to read you something, a a brief little uh, piece here. That was that, that just appeared a couple of weeks ago in Politico, written by Michael Stevens, who's the vice chair of the journalism school at NYU. He works with Jay Rosen, who is the head of the journalism school at NYU and one of the most distinguished journalism folks in the country. And let me let me just take a second and read this to you. He says the big news in American journalism today has been that reporters, editors, and producers at legacy journalism organizations have become eager to dispute more questionable pronouncements. 
The big news is that many of our best journalists seem in news coverage, not just opinion pieces, but to be moving away from balance and nonpartisanship. An abandon of the pretense of objectivity is in many ways a return to America's journalism roots, which is long overdue. Journalism in the United States, he said, was born partisan and remains so for much of its history. Loud, boisterous, and combative. Let's not romanticize this era of mostly disinterested journalism. Our most respected mainstream journalism organizations are beginning to recognize the failings of nonpartisanship, its tepidness, its blind spots, its omissions, its evasions. It was news when the patriarch of American journalism, the New York Times, finally used the word lie in a headline. American journalism has been changing in front of our eyes. Better that journalists surrender the old pretense to objectivity entirely. Most other countries are comfortable with journalists who wield a well-honed perspective. They all manage with their biases to be fine news organs. The democracies they monitor continue to function. Thank you. Um, I move to amend the motion to um, to not approve the contract and to have him lease the space at market rate and to be separate. Just a, a comment that a lot of what you've said, Amy, starts to take on a feeling, a flavor that you're concerned about the content of Mr. Sheckman's show. That would be illegal for us to decide on this contract based upon the content of his programs. That's unconstitutional. That's we cannot true. do that. With that, yes, it is true. No, um, yes, we cannot, we cannot base our decision on the, on the content of his program. We can decide who we have on our campus and who we do business with. And the fact so, that he... With that... Wait, wait, I want to say something to his comment. I agree with what you said. For a no, private, but this is on a public school campus, and we have to be impartial, and we have to be nonpartisan. We're a public school. We are We're not, not the, the vendor here. We're, we are not. Thank you. You've made a, a request to amend the motion. Yes. Is there a second on her amendment? Yes, to no, not approve and to, ha to have just some leasing. There not any second. I called the question on the first motion, and we've had a first and a second to approve the contract. All those in favor, vote by May I make a suggestion completely aside from the vote? We're done with this item. All right. I will email it later. Uh, the motion passed 8-1, opposed by Amy Martinson. 7-1. 7-1, sorry. 6-1. Thank you. 6-1. Down to item 12, action items. 12.1, ratify financial documents. Any questions uh, for Mr. Parker? None. Second. All in favor? Aye. Coming. Are we? Yeah. That's all right. Mr. Baldini? And I seconded. Sorry, he's still learning how to do this. Mary Ann. Motion passed. Mary Ann, not present. 
Yes. Seven with one not present. Quick question. Was this for student housing for the bond? Or? No. No, this is um, specifically for the general obligation bond, facilities bond, and okay. that the board's been talking about. I had one question just about the funding for it. Is this coming out of the the seventeen eighteen budget, or is this money from the last year? Seventeen eighteen. Okay. budget. Of approval. Motion passed. Um, seven one. Abstained by Amy Martinson. Questions, comments? Motion to approve. Move to approve. Second. All in favor? But passed unanimously. 12.4, Product Services and Industries Agreement. Move approval. Second. All in favor? Passed unanimously. 12.5, Approve Agreement with STEM, Inc. to provide electrical storage service for peak demand savings. Questions or comments? We have a motion to approve. I'll move approval. Second. Thank you. All in favor? Passed unanimously. Okay. 12.6, Vallejo City Unified School District Contract Amendment, number 001299. Move to approve. Second. All in favor? Motion passed unanimously. Thank you. Okay. Down to 13, board reports, standing committee, and other appointment reports. 13.1. Viticulture and Winery Foundation, Board of Directors, Iverson. We did not meet. Uh, let's see. Audit and fine. No, I'm not going to skip you, Marianne. Okay, Marianne, Legislative Affairs Committee. Actually, Kyle's the chair of that. All of that earlier today, and you're passing it on. He'll let me speak, right? I, I absolutely will. I am, and Trustee Martinson, feel free to chime in. I don't have an official report. I have some notes uh, here. So we did meet. Uh, we met on the 11th earlier this week. Uh, we did vote two to one with uh, Trustee Mancuso and Martinson in favor. I, Trustee Iverson, opposed. And that was to forward a draft resolution to perform Proposition 13. Um, hoping that you guys are all familiar with that. Uh, the vote followed uh, the discussion of two documents that were attached. I don't know if you guys had a chance to look at those. Um, we also, as a committee, requested that the board review Senate Bill 769 by Senator Hill. That's regarding a baccalaureate degree pilot program designed to ensure students in California have greater access to higher education programs that increase their workforce skills and career opportunities. According to the Community College League of California, the bill would enable an additional 10 community college districts 
to participate in the program, ensuring that the program will have an adequate sample size when evaluating its effectiveness. The bill, and this may have changed, but was amended. May I? It's dead. I was going there right now. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, We also discussed uh, reaching out to Assemblyman Curry and Senator Bill Dodd. Wait a minute, Kyle. Can I just elaborate a little bit on that bill? On the 769, sure. Yes. So this is really disappointing because um, 769 is the original SB 850, and SB 850, uh, you know, allowed for that pilot program of 15 colleges to offer baccalaureate programs. And... um, and so what I heard, and I had a long conver- conversation with uh, Bill Dodd about this because uh, he's in the committee that, you know, they just aren't wanting to do more for community colleges. And there, and there are certain uh, people in leadership who still have a very old school view of community colleges of today. And so... Um, so anyway, this this bill, basically what they did was they extended the sunset, but they are not, it's done. They are not allowing any more colleges to uh, opt into the program or to be chosen. And so the only way to get this rolling again is a new bill. So I would advocate that um, at some point... I know our legislative committee talked about this, that we figure out how we might be able to get behind that if the full board, you know, chooses to to do that. Um, we also formalized uh, an agenda of meetings, which was nice. Um, our August date is tentative, pending whether... Uh, Mrs. Curry can be there or Senator Dodd. And we also picked out some legislative bills that we want to track, research a little bit. And next time we meet, we're going to be going over those and we'll bring some of those to the board. It's a productive meeting, though. Do you have anything you'd like to add? Want to add one more thing? So I also learned that 577, which was going to allow credentialing, uh, at the community college level um, is being held up, won't happen this year, and is also in trouble. So I just want to add, um, yeah, since we did actually take action and get consensus um, amongst ourselves, well, not consensus, but we voted to um, to support a resolution for Prop 13 reform, and we were hoping that could be on the agenda for the next meeting so that we could bring that to the whole board. Can I make a comment? Uh, um, and just based on this, the SB 850 and the whole baccalaureate, is it generally the the reverberations through the 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 state? Um, certainly, San Diego Community College District has taken the lead. So, um, Constance Carroll, Chancellor down there, will continue to push very hard for this to reemerge next year. And those colleges that tend to look like us in profile, that are a bit isolated or difficult to get to or from. Um, you know, there's, there's several of them um, that have uh, 400, you know, 
uh, no, 150-mile trip to the nearest UC or SCU campus, they're, they're still pushing very hard. So there's, it's still an idea um, that's not completely dead, so I wouldn't be surprised if we saw it next year. I'd like to see us take advantage of our VWP program for near mind technology. I think that would be awesome. That's my report. Thank you. Audit and Finance Mancuso. We didn't meet. Uh, we didn't meet. Thank you. For District Auxiliary Services Board of Directors, Segura. We didn't meet. Our next meeting is September? August? August. Is there a date for that? Or not yet? August. Okay, date to be confirmed. Okay, so next, ad hoc committee reports, real property asset management. So there is a report that's attached. There is a report that's attached, though we held no meeting. Uh, well. Is that what the report says? No, <laughs> no it's a real property asset management committee purpose statement. Which I hope everybody took the time to read. Can you give input to, into that? Who would like to go on that one? I'll turn it over to the board chair, also a member of the committee. Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, I wanted to add in, let's see, where is it? Um, oh, the, it says the committee will consider and recommend, I wanted to add in to the board, next steps in the formal evaluation of assets. Um it's not clear who you're doing the recommending to, and it seems like it should only be to the board, since only the full board can actually take actions. And I think that's in our, actually, in our policy. That is the purpose of the, all of our board committee. Yeah, I just think it would be good if we could have clarification on that. Um, the other thing is... Um, the part about it being, it says the period of review and inquiry for the committee is expected to be of short duration, and that's the basis for keeping it a temporary committee versus a standing committee. Um, and I, anything, nothing in the description indicates that it would be of short duration. So either I feel like the committee either needs to really specify what its task is, is it just to look at housing? Even if it was just to look at housing, that's going to go on for years. Um, so I feel like either it needs to be very specific to indicate that it would be a short duration or it should be a standing committee. Um, and I'm leaning towards the standing committee because we're always going to have land use issues. It's not a temporary issue. I would agree with that. And I also felt like the December date was kind of seemed kind of arbitrary. It didn't seem to really have any specific reason for December 2017. Okay. Well, I think there are some other... Factors. That's, that's typically when we elect a yes, a new board chair, and then they establish the committees as appropriate or as they believe needed. So that's an annual. Yes, that's correct. Yes, that's correct. No, well, no, because some committees actually have standing regular dates that they meet on and are noticed, but this one hasn't so far. 
So uh, what I would suggest is that we go back and look at those other factors. But I think this is where we came out, right? It was. I, I, I agree with you. I think the committee will consider and recommend. It, it's yeah, the only entity. It, it is a subbody of this body, so it, it's structured to only recommend to you. I mean, so there's no other persons that it would recommend to. Um, My the, I, my concern is that I mean, if you look at the Brown Act, there's actually no such term ad hoc. There's temporary committees and there's standing committees. And um, temporary committees are very specific and very defined so that you know that they're going to end at a specific point. And even in this description, it's it's not specific. It's They're going to be looking at land use issues. That's always going to be an issue. Um, we even put this committee in our accreditation report is our to address our... Um, issues surrounding planning and budget, so it was important enough to put in our accreditation report. And I feel that these land use issues should be transparent. I think it creates distrust to not have them be transparent, and so I would like to see it be a standing committee subject to the Brown Act so that the public can participate, and us as a board, if we want to come and and at least know what's going on. It's not some secret meetings between three board members talking about district assets. I, I I move to make it a standing committee. Can I make it as a motion? I move to make it a standing committee. Or this, I think, it's on the agenda. This this description is on the agenda, and so I move to make it a standing committee. It's on the agenda. The committee reports. So we can't make motions. Committees are committees that the chair appoints. So um, I'm not sure. Okay, well, I think it's a Brown Act issue because it says that standing things that aren't temporary, that are standing, need to be subject to the Brown Act, and this is not a temporary committee the way it's written. So either it should be more clearly defined and really be a temporary committee, or if it's going to be as it's written, it should be a standing committee subject to the Brown Act. Well, here's, I, that's where I think there are other factors, and I don't have it in front of me, and I don't know if you do but there are other factors that determine whether it's a, a temporary ad hoc or, or uh, standing committee. And I believe some of those factors are having regularly scheduled meetings. And this committee was meant to be flexible to respond to things that are happening that shouldn't wait for you know, input uh, for a month or two months. Uh, what I can tell you is that we'll certainly go back and look at that definition. Yeah, you need to look at the I Brown think, Act because that's where the definition is. I think part of the initial charge of the committee is to make that evaluation as well. What What is needed? What is their role? Um, and until that's better defined, you really can't say. Can I make a suggestion that come December, if the, if the board determines that this is a committee that needs to continue, that we make it a standing committee at that point. I think it's insulting that anyone on the board would think that trustees are meeting as an ad hoc committee secretly. No, it's not about that. It's about what the Brown Act says. If the Brown Act says that an ad hoc, I've got it right here, it says an ad hoc committee has a defined purpose and a time frame to accomplish that purpose. Saying that your time frame is the end of the chair's chairship makes no sense. That's not specific to a project. 
if if that's what we're gonna, I mean, we're already what's July. So I mean, if you get if we get to December, and as part of the evaluation of whether or not we need to keep this, I think it at that point, if it's determined that this is something that is going to be an ongoing thing, that we need to make it an ongoing standing committee. I think based on what you just read, which is I've seen in the past as well, it either needs to be clearly defined right now uh, with a timeline or we just need to make it a standing committee. Uh, having dates is not part of the definition of what makes a standing committee. You just told us there was no ad hoc mentioned in the Brown Act, which you just read to us. Yeah, yeah. yeah I thought it was called temporary. But anyway, the point... Oh, okay. Chair? Yeah. I think there's a typo in this. In one of the final there's sentences, the committee will consider and recommended next steps. I think I should read recommend. If that's okay, true. Well, here, I, it, that's not a bad suggestion to look at it that way. But we'll certainly, that's what I'm willing to do is go back and consider it. As Carol Lee said, that was one of the first charges, and maybe we can delay that out. Any, yeah, any I just would add. I, I I would just add though that I agree with what Carol Lee said. I've been viewing it as trying to figure out exactly where that committee is going to be useful and if it's going to be ongoing or if it's not. So, I mean, the committee hasn't looked at that much yet. There have been a couple of items that have come up, so it's kind of like. Our ad hoc committee, we're still trying to figure out where it's useful. So that's that's how I've been using it. Uh, you looking secret. at it? Pardon me? You're not meaning in secret. <laughs> what is, I don't understand the resistance to making a standing committee, but first of all, because I couldn't make a motion because it's not on the agenda, we shouldn't actually have been even discussing this because it's not on the agenda, actually. This probably should be put on the agenda if we're going to discuss it. Well, we've discussed it for 15 minutes. Um, trustee 13.3, trustee and board chair. Reports. Wait a minute. Did I miss a committee? Is it yours? Yes. Oh, that explains it. I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so we did meet, and it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> My microphone wasn't on. Sorry. We met. And we had a great conversation, uh, Rosada and Jennifer and myself, and we identified a few areas that we're going to bring uh, some information back and put on the agenda next month. Um, of those, I'll just tell you real quick, I'll sort of give you a little teaser. Um, we talked about board reports, uh, agenda items, and uh, also cutoffs on um, information added to the agenda as well, So, and also debate um, and how that should be handled or the request that we would make to the, uh, to the president and the chair um, of, you know, what we thought might be a good way of handling debate during our conversations. More to come. Aren't you intrigued? Thirteen point three, trustee and board chair reports, and uh, we'll start over here. 
I do not have a student trustee report. Thank you. Amy. Um, I just, I was actually contacted by a former professor, Ron Reiner, who I haven't met before, but um, he mentioned to me that there was a film showing coming up at the college that he wanted me to encourage um, not just the trustees, but he hoped that we would encourage the college uh, constituencies, the students as well, to attend. It does sound important. It's called Watermark. Um, It's playing at the PAC, the big theater, on July 27th at 7 p.m. And it's about water. So um, it says, uh, Watermark brings together diverse stories from around the globe about our relationship with water, how we are drawn to it, what we learn from it, how we use it, and the consequences of that use. Um, So, you know, he made the point, and he's right, that we're all living in a watershed here in Napa County. Um, the college in particular, we're on a creek, Tulake Creek, and in a watershed. And um, it's important that, you know, that we all be aware of issues surrounding water. So I'd like to encourage everybody to go. And I'll be there. Amy, is it, can I ask you a question? Is, that, is there a foundation behind that? or I mean, what's the um, No, it looked like an individual or was behind it, but maybe part of a nonprofit. Oh. Yeah, it's, a, it's from somebody from the community that's showing it here. Yeah, Thank July you. 27th. Thank you. Prasada? You? Ms. Mancuso? I love a parade. <laughs> the parade was great. Um, I got to... Uh, Ride in a car, and do and do the and by myself and do the parade wave. And Ron was in the car in front of me, and I got my T-shirt. It was great. It was fun. Um, and then I had lunch, and maybe somebody can answer this question for me. I had lunch with Joan Bennett, as you know, as a former trustee as well as former city council member at American Canyon. She uh, had a question about. Here at the college, do we have any classes or anything that helps nonprofits succeed? Oh, yeah. Would that fall under the small business? Yes, exactly. it, it would. The, yeah, there's quite a few things that can work there. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, then maybe you could send her some information or something, or somebody could. Um, and, and then I just, on a personal note, I have something really quick, maybe quick. Um, I told you all the story about the brother that I didn't know I had, and tell, I could tell those who don't know about it later, but <laughs> um, his daughter came, so I spent time with a niece that I knew that I, know, that I didn't know I ever had. But the most touching thing about it is that they now know about their family, and um, and so they've lived all their lives without... You know, knowing who they were, they didn't even know they were Sicilian, but yet the rest of the family was blonde and stuff, and they're all dark, right? <laughs> so now they know that. Um, but it was just, um, I, I probably one of my, I don't know, just very emotional, made me very happy, a number of things, and I'm so glad that these folks are a part of our family now. They're wonderful people. Mr. Baldini. Good evening. Thank you. I was delighted to attend the Police Academy graduation, and I just, with many of my fellow trustees, but I just wanted to point out that these two are ASNBC president, Rafael and Manbeer. In my 
however many graduations I've been going to, and it's been like three a year since 2003 or something like that. They're the first representatives, first student trustee, and the first ASNVC president that I've ever seen at those events, and I appreciate it. I welcome it, and uh, thank you for being there for our students, whether in uniform or, or not. Thank you. I am also on the uh, Board of Trustees, or actually Chairman of the, uh, the uh, Napa Valley Transportation Authority Citizens Advisory Committee, and we discussed uh, uh, bus routes and reroutes and uh, speeding up the quote-unquote express bus service, particularly between here and uh, Napa and the, and the Vallejo Ferry Terminal and, and other routes. Uh, and just for the college's information and, and in those studies, and, and the resulting was to take uh, the buses off um, Beamer and put them uh, so your stops are on 221 rather than winding through the college campus. So that's just something to think about going forward about access to public transportation. Thank you. Jennifer. Um, only thing I have is that I also was at the police academy graduation, and I just go on going on record that I n- know I still owe you money for for brunch. <laughs> I uh, one thing that I wanted to comment on was going and doing the little media day with the women's basketball team. I think it's awesome that we now have a team. I think it would be great to do something for all of our sports, whether it's a patch or something, commemorating the 75 years. Maybe we get to do jerseys for the women's basketball team, but have a patch that is uniform to show that solidarity across all of our athletics. I think that might be neat. Thank you. Um, And I don't have... uh report. Nothing exciting. Haven't done anything. Um, well, I've done a lot, but uh, nothing uh, great value <laughs> here right now. Uh, so, with that, so we're 14, continuance closed session. Not necessary. <laughs> uh, future meetings. August 10th mm-hmm. at, uh, will we have our pre-board, that one, or will we start at we, um We do not have a pre-board schedule for August, so we're going we're gonna to wait and continue, so, I, uh, so it will begin at 4.30. And that meeting will have to be presided over by Ms. Mancuso. I will be driving my son to ASU. Um, Leaving very early that morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll be fun. Nice and cool over there. Yeah. <laughs> August what? <laughs> yeah. Thank you, everybody. With that, we adjourn the meeting. <laughs>